Sheldon Hoyt, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you know, I, I, you're someone who I, I enjoy talking to. You've been on the podcast, I think this is the third time, maybe? Or maybe yeah. if I'm counting the first time I was on uh, Soka Passion Live with you a couple years ago. God, has it been two years already? Yes, it, is, it has been two years, yeah. Holy crap. Um, you know, in the context of that chat, uh, the, the, the first conversation we had was around the murder of George Floyd, uh, dealing with police violence and the issues, the myriad issues around that. Um, and since then, there have been countless school shootings and then one in Uvalde, Texas. Um, and you're someone who I just in general trust your viewpoint and I like to bounce ideas off of. And, and you, you have a very rational, objective um, while also opinionated view on things that I really respect. Um, so maybe just in the, just as we move forward, that's the sort of context I wanted to put out for why I, why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, also, you're a registered nurse, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Um, so you are in the medical profession um, that sees not just the sort of – you've been on the ground with COVID from day one, but also you're, the, you're one of the people who sees possibly shooting uh, – trauma and stuff on a daily basis maybe i don't i don't want to presume to no no exactly no actually do, i but. i work in um in a chronic setting in dialysis so while i've i've seen the effects of the covid i have not i don't deal with like uh emergency situation i don't work in the emergency room okay so uh, pardon my ignorance on that no, that's you're, so you're in the medical profession yeah, we can we can say that, and I and so I I kind of am curious. Just again, like I don't expect that you have answers for any of this stuff. That like we're going to walk away being like, okay, great, we did it. But like, what what have been some of your thoughts? Just to sort of do an autopsy on the last two years since we spoke. What are some <laughs> things that you feel? Is there any progress? Has there been any positive movement, um, or have we stagnated? Um, where, where do you see this going? Uh, I always have so many thoughts on everything that's going on. And um, it's really tough to just, uh, it's frustrating. Let me, let me put it that way. I'm really frustrated. Um, I'm, I'm sort of bewildered, right? Because uh, I, I don't know where we go because we've seen, if just in the past two years, right? Where so many things happen in society as it relates to race, as it relates to sex, as it relates to gun violence. Mm -hmm. And we are still having the exact same conversations we've been having for the past 15, 20 years mm -hmm. with no movement at all. Um, what I have come to realize uh, from my perspective, though, is that, you know, I, I think we speak and we... We, when we speak with people, we, we expect that we could have a rational conversation with them and we could bridge views. But I, I realize sometimes even I, at some points, used to do it where I would, if someone has an extreme view that conflicts with my view, I sort of, uh, I, get, I get a little more aggressive with my view trying to push my view on them as opposed to trying to understand how they come, how they, they've come to that conclusion. Mm. How is it they look at the world from that point of view? What, mm. what are the underlying, what's the underlying thought process? Right. Um, I've even <laughs> uh, uh, indirectly or, or 
unintentionally had the um, the opportunity to watch some of the Fox News broadcast. I don't watch Fox News. Mm-hmm. I usually watch CNN. And um, in, in the facility I work at, you have a, is a, a you know a, a lot of right wing patients, mm-hmm. and they the TV is always on Fox News. Um, even some of the staff they're right wing, and they have these conversations. And at first, it was very uncomfortable because, um, you know, I'm like, I have a I have a a, a, a dedicated point of view to right wing folks. It's like I look at them a certain way, I think of them a certain way, and I think that they think a certain way because of what we see and what we hear overall as a society, the right wing represents. Um, so for me, that was like, okay, that was an experience. And it was, it was also an opportunity, I think, learning experience where I realized that not all right wing um, people or people who believe or people who back Donald Trump or people who believe some of the rhetoric of the far right, they're all really not with that um, mm-hmm. mindset. Uh, they, some of them, and I, I'll just give you one example. Mm-hmm. One particular patient, she's like, can you put the, the TV on Fox, please? I said, no problem. Put it on Fox News. And then she looks at me and she's like, yeah, I'm a Republican. I apologize. And I'm like, you know, what are you apologizing for? She's like, because I know our views are extreme, right? And I just think, I just think the world has gone to two extremes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's interesting, but you don't need to apologize for your decisions and your, you know, what, who you choose. You have a right to choose, you know, mm-hmm. as I have a right to choose. And she's like, yeah, but I just, I know, I know what, what we're experiencing in society. And to me, that was like, that was jarring for someone to actually apologize for who they choose to align themselves with. And I think that just speaks to the, the greater, um, greater challenge we face as a society is that there's, it seems to be that we don't want to have a conversation where two things could be right at the same time. Mm. Well, give me an example of what you feel is like, what is a conversation in your mind that you feel like you and I could have where both of us could be right at the exact same time? Just I, hypothetically just, speaking. Just on this a whole gun, gun situation, mm-hmm. right? Do you have, the minute you say, the minute there's a mass shooting, it becomes polarized, mm-hmm. period. Once it hits the news, you have, don't take our guns. Then you have, oh, ban guns. But that's not the real conversation. The, there, are two, there are many parts to it, first and foremost. It's not as simple as banning guns and, and mental health. It's a combination of things, right? Um, so we don't have, we have where someone will say, and I had a conversation with a friend, and they're like, oh, you guys think this is about guns. This is not about guns. This is about mental health. And then somebody will say, well, this has everything to do with guns. Why assault weapons so readily available to civilians, which is my thoughts. But both are true at the exact same time in the same space because we need to deal with mental health 
and how people who may have a mental health issue or may have, you know, some pending um, idealism of, of, of mass murder, we need to address that and control their access to guns. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we also need to control general uh, citizens' access to guns as far as high-powered rifles, high-powered weapons. I don't see any war. I mean, there is a war, right, if we want to use that word. Mm-hmm. But it's not It's not a war. There's, there's, there's um, conflict. I'll use that word. There is definitely conflict. There's racial conflict. There's a... Uh, a sexual identity conflicts, the women's right, you know, gender conflicts. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, you know, classes conflict, cap, you know, uh, economical conflict. And but you it's have not a very a war. beautiful person behind you right now. I know. Yes, my dear. <laughs> but one second. That's fine. Okay, I'll give you something in a minute. Okay. Yeah. So we're not in a war. We're not right now. Ukraine is in a war. They need high-powered rifles. They need weapons. Why do we, as citizens living together in one place, need all that high-powered weaponry? And I think, as someone who grew up, you know, seeing illegal guns and all that stuff, um, someone who has had the experience of having a gun in my hand for the first time at a young age and the feeling you get when you have it it's almost it's empowering it's like Mm -hmm. you get more bold you get more there's situations that you would usually walk away from that you may now not feel inclined to walk away from because you're emboldened because now i could more readily do something about it so I, I I don't understand it. I'm not I'm not gonna fight with those who feel like they should have a high powered rifle. Well, the way racial tensions are one of my friends, he he, he has a ton of high powered rifles. And he he lives he's he's a black black guy. And and he lives in a white pattern. And I, I'm using these terms blatantly and bluntly. I'm you know, like yeah, yeah. that's that's what it is. It's reality. So he lives, where he lives is predominantly white. And he has had the unfortunate um, experience of being exposed to some racial, some conversations that white supremacists have um, relating to black folks. And in some of those groups and some of those chats, their goal is to eliminate the black, you know, the black citizens, the black Americans in this country because they feel threatened. Mm-hmm. As did that guy who did the shooting in Buffalo. Right, the replacement theory stuff. Correct. Yeah. So his uh, point of view is: I'm going to stock up. I'm going to be ready for whatever comes my way. I'm going to mm-hmm. protect my home. And he has a ton of air. He has ammunition like crazy. He has weapons from AR-15 to Glock 22 to nine millimeters. He has the 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 you know the armored vest. He he has it all. He's ready for militia war. That's what he, he's ready for. Mm-hmm. And when the school shooting happened, we had that conversation. If you look at, I wonder if it's on my Facebook thread. 
Um, I'm not sure if it's on mine or his. There was a thread I think I posted and he commented and he was speaking about ARS and protecting his home and everything like that. And I'm like, I understand that. If someone comes to your home, you're ready to protect your home. What happens if you have all those weapons at home and your kids are at school and someone comes and shoot that school up? What do those weapons do for you in that situation? You know, so it's not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, at the point of view where I'm like, ban all guns or, you know, I've, I've seen where people have high-powered rifles, a, a ton of weapons. I've seen them myself. And um, I go to, to the gun range and I, I have a, a nine millimeter, you know, mm-hmm. semi-automatic. And the, the firepower they have, I'm like, holy crap. Well, it's, one of the... <laughs> I mean, one of the things that it wasn't even necessarily about guns. It's sort of, again, why I wanted to talk to you. It's like our conversation about, uh, you know, it's about uh, compliance with law enforcement, compliance with mask mandates, compliance with like this feeling of like you have to comply with what we're telling you to do and people's resistance to that compliance, whether it, whether you, you know, when you see somebody resisting arrest, people get upset because the police is the policeman or woman is either too aggressive and is over requesting over compliance or the other person just isn't complying well if you have just complied it's like okay fine when you then see what happened with the entire law enforcement and again like I'm painting with a broad brush cuz I I'm, I'm digesting what I'm seeing in the news mm-hmm. in in Uvalde Texas where there were you know there was a what was it 10 or something police officers like literally handcuffing parents keeping them from running into the schools yeah and not reacting and not doing the thing that for after George Floyd, I was lectured to by people on the right. Like they're running into the fire. They're the ones in danger. Respect everything. Like they're the ones that have to do the thing you don't want to do. It's like, listen, I'm not going to argue with you there. I get that to a degree. Where are you now? Where's that same energy now? Now we're not talking about a police shooting. We're talking about abject police inaction that I don't want to ascribe, I don't want to, I mean, I'm thinking Occam's razor here, less maliciousness and more just like what humans do when there is a fucking shooter blowing things up inside of a school, people froze. And so why are you then telling me that I need to arm myself? Wait, you're telling me that the cops are too afraid to run in? I'm the one that has to do it? Okay, fine. That's fine. That's okay. Great. I will give you that argument. When I get pulled over or my friend Sheldon gets pulled over or my friend Kendall gets pulled over... I want you to keep that same energy when they're frisking him and throwing him up against the car because he's got a vitamin in his back pocket. Like, let's keep that. That's all I want is the same energy across the board. And like right now, we're all like back the blue back. It's like, I I would if I felt like they were going to back my kids whenever they were getting again, like, but that that's not anywhere in the argument. No one's no one on the right is talking about that. Like, no, if. And, I, and, and I'm just like, that's what freezes me. And I'm just like, well, I, yeah, we can talk about guns. We can talk about all this stuff. But like you were on my ass about the culture of respecting police. Yeah, that's that's all of that's, those parents did. And they got handcuffed be, because the cops like <laughs> like that. Well, like, I don't know how to, I don't know what what do you say? Like, how do you you know, and Ted Cruz is out there being like, we got to only have one door. It's like, OK, fine. If you talk to a fire marshal about that. Like, give me exactly. a break. Give and me ar- a break. Where's the nuance here? You know, and I'm the teachers, and and I'm yeah, like, yeah. You, like, good. The teachers can't need- get two hundred and fifty dollars for crafting supplies. 
You think they're going to be okay with a budget for gun safes and like, you know, rifles in their classroom? They can't get scissors, you know? Sorry. And arm, no, it's fine. And arm the teachers. And, and I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. First of all. <laughs> well, and let me ask a dumb, let me, let me ask a dumb question here, Sheldon. Let me just, let's, um, let's say that that was a school in like downtown, you know, Bed-Stuy or Crown Heights, or, you know, uh, at rural Atlanta, an all-black school in rural Atlanta. What do you think would have happened if the cops were there trying to keep an entire school district's worth of parents from going to save their kids? Oh, I think you would. <laughs> like, what, I think... Play that I, out actually, for me. I, I think... Listen, there would have been... First of all, most of those parents would have been uh, whisked away and put in in a cell somewhere to cool off or whatever the case is. Um, I, 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 I can't even, I don't, I don't know because they seem it's, it's definitely a different reaction when it's us, you know? Well, and, again, and I want to be clear, this was a, this was a predominantly like, uh, I don't want to, I don't even know the nationality, but Latin American school just like like these were not white kids you know right. i'm painting mm-hmm. with broad brushes here this this wasn't a like upper crust white school where the you know these cops were being very like so again but like i i just like in that moment i'm just sitting there thinking like this there's just no way there's just no way that this would have played out this way you know? yeah it's it's or, it's listen it's just and, and i think the problem is it's is that you know when you look at who kind of who's like the head of a lot of these things? It's like a bunch of older white men, and and that's sad because their point, their thing is like this is what we feel it should be, and this is how we're gonna make it be, and and we don't care what you say, we're not gonna change it, and that's how they do it. brush everything. Like okay, no, you got the shooting in in, um, in Buffalo, New York, did not. You have ten people. They lost their life. And yes, I saw Fox News. And they very, they skimmed over that conversation, that that uh, shooting. Ten people who went about their day, who went to the supermarket, who went to buy stuff for their household, living their lives. And they were killed simply because the color of their skin. Absolutely no other reason. They didn't do anything to anyone. They weren't aggressive. They weren't. So for people who seem to always want to brush it under the rug and and act like we're being irrational when we're terrified that we pull over by a car, you know, Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy because I drive to work sometimes 3.45 3.45 every morning. That's the, t- um, that's the time I leave my house. And I'm on the highway. And I, you know, I'm driving. Sometimes I'm thinking, damn, what if I get pulled over now in the darker night? Um, and, you know, these cops see me driving. Mind you, I'm going to work. And something happens. Like, how do I get, how would I be able to get justice? So there's nobody, no one on the street to witness what would happen. That's a scary thought. It's a scary feeling that you are terrified to have an encounter with a police officer because 
or at least you want to make sure that if something happens, I need people to see so that they know that. And, you know, I read stories all the time. If you almost every day or almost every other day, you read where you have somebody black got pulled over, they got arrested, they were charged with resisting, they were charged with unlawful behavior and all that stuff. And none of that was the case. I was reading of a university young lady. I read this just last week. And I think she was going to her dorm or something like that. And the cop followed her. Mm-hmm. All right. Cop followed her. And he put his light on when she actually parked. There was no chase. He didn't tell her to pull over. He, did. he pulled her over when she parked. And he came out, took out of the car, asked, you know, and and threw her on the ground, arrested her. Another female came. They, they took this woman to jail, and she had a trial and everything. And the cop documented his report was that there was a chase, and she refused to stop, and she resisted arrest, and all that stuff. And they lie, and they get away with it because there's no one else to witness. Thankfully, in this case, other people witnessed the events and they came out and, you know, so, and, and thank God for some of these body cams. So it's, it's a scary thing. I, I don't, my frustration comes with, I don't know where we go. I don't know how we change it. I don't well, know. I don't know lead, what else to do. Well, I mean, this leads me to, I mean, the thing that I, <laughs> if somebody had a gun to my head right now and was like, give me the answer. And we'll do it for the next two years. Whatever you say is what this country will do for the next two years. Honest to God, Sheldon, it would be what you and I are doing right now and what you and I have been doing since one of the more traumatic. I mean, you and I have been talking for a long time. We've known each other in the steel band context for a while. But like the impetus for you to the idea that I was the first person, maybe not the first person, but one of the people you thought of to talk to in a very intense moment in our nation's sort of consciousness, (laughs) like. That was terrifying for me. But actually, at the end of the day, it wasn't that hard. Maybe, maybe it was for you, but at the end of the day, the, like, it, what, like, it was terrifying for me to be like, fuck, I'm going to go on and talk about guns or white people or what. Like, like, <laughs> of, like wow, what, where's my responsibility here? Or who, who am I talking for other than myself? Well, at the end of the day, I'm not. I'm talking for me, and you're talking for you, and you and I have a better understanding of each other. And this sort of... I guess it's just not that hard. I wish people, like, I think the actual, it just takes a long time. It, you're not going to read about it on Fox News or CNN that, about the conversation you and I had. You're not going to read about the conversation you had with the woman in the dialysis clinic over Fox, over, over turning on Fox News. <laughs> That's not a sexy piece of news to, like, keep people engaged. Um, but for my white, for, if I have white friends who are, like, who harbor uh, an irrational view of black people, just trust me when I say go ask that question. Just go get yourself in a place with somebody that you feel trusts you or has a, a trusting sort of demeanor like yourself and then ask the dumb question and sit yes. and wait for the response, you know? And like, <laughs> and you know, and, and if, and if you're talking to someone like Sheldon, Sheldon may say, Hey bro, that was a little inarticulate and perhaps hurtful the way you said it. But can you explain to me why you th- said that? Why do you think that? Oh, it's because you grew up, and the only black people you ever knew were on the show Cops. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I, I don't, I don't. You shouldn't go through your life living like that. But if that's the, 
okay, I had, now I understand why you think the way you do. It's not because you actually hate black people because you had a personal run-in with a whole swath of black people. You watched a TV show that gave you a distorted view on A, black people, and B, how cops should react to criminals. You know, like, so then we can tease that out and then get to the nut of how and build some sort of new modeling of the world based on an interaction with you rather than a TV show. You know, it's just that takes fucking forever, Sheldon. It takes a while and it, it takes it takes people who are willing to have those conversations. That's the first I think it's on both sides because as I'm not gonna lie, like as a black man, I I have carried a lot of angry point of views myself. Frustration. Um it's this is not new to me. I, I've told you before, I've been pulled over. I've had a gun pulled on my face by a cops in a similar fashion to that young lady I read about where he did not, there was no lights, there was no pullover. It's just, he just pulled in front of me, jumped out and put a gun in my face. Yeah. And at that point, his light still wasn't, you know, his emergency light still wasn't on. Um, and then never showed up, gave me three tickets and never showed up to court. You know, then I was after I had other issues where the cops would pull me over, issue me summonses, go to court, stand there, blatantly lie, and I'm there like and I, I'm you're trying to explain to a judge, this is what happened, but it's your word against the cop word. The judge is likely not gonna believe you. Mm-hmm. Very unlikely over someone standing with a badge on a gun because they're supposed to uphold the truth and uphold. So when you have so many people who are supposed to represent truth and service and justice and they are undermining the whole process, it's hard for us to trust you guys. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that. They think it's a war against police. No, it's a war against how you treat us. It's not a war against the police. It's not a war against uh, the authorities. It's a war against inequality and how you treat us when you see us. You know, mm-hmm. I look at myself and I'm like, damn, I'm 6'2", 240 some pounds. My stature alone is a threat. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I mean, I, listen, I'm going to be honest, Sheldon. I mean, the first time I met you, I was like, I'm going to keep my eyes on that one. He's a, he's, until I know him. He's, I mean, just you're someone who could kill me if you wanted to just with one punch, you know? like. And, but I feel that way about big white guys. Like, there's just like, there are people who in this world who just because of their stature, people perceive a certain thing, you know? And right. you are, you're, I mean, you're what, you're what, like 6'3 or something? 6'2". 6'2". Six two, six two. Six two, yeah, like you're, you're not a small fellow. <laughs> so, you know, so I have that, I have my stature, I have being black, I have dreads, now I have a beard. You know, so I fit a lot of descriptions. Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, it's not just, and I keep saying this, and people will say, why are you going to tell white people this? No, it's not just the cops against us. We first have to learn how to coexist and, mm-hmm. and, and communicate with, you, with each other. We have to learn how to disagree. I keep saying this, and my friends, they like, Chalan, you're not making any sense. I'm like, because you don't want it to make sense to you. Mm. Well, you life it- is, it, may, it, it's, it is less stressful to hold a strong belief than it is to question that belief. It is. And so, and, so. and I, tell my, I tell them all the time, I say, just think about this. Everywhere you go, any part of the world, any part 
of any part of the world and go in the black neighborhoods, right? And I'm not saying that it's not a result of suppression. It's not a result of lack of economical uh, investments or support or anything like that. I'm not saying that we haven't been oppressed in many ways. What I'm saying is that in order for us to elevate ourselves out of that, I should not fear going into another black neighborhood because I don't want, don't live there, or maybe I wore the wrong color that day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We, as our own people, are supposed, in order for us, and I, I keep saying this, I repeat it every single time, and I appreciate you, Josh, because you're coming in as a white dude, like, okay. And, and like you said, I'm sure it's like, how do I speak to black people and let them know that I'm not one of the, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not a, I, I don't hate black people. You know, like, how do yeah, you, yeah. and I appreciate that, the fact that you're brave enough to have these conversations. So a lot of white people, they're scared to have, the, they well, might want to. The one thing I've learned and again, please tell me if I'm misdiagnosing this, but the one thing that like now as I'm 42 and having been um, working within Caribbean, and again, like uh, I'm painting with a broad brush, but I'll try to be as specific as I can. The Caribbean black population, uh, both in the United States and in Trinidad and throughout the Caribbean, the, and I don't know exactly why I have my theories, but the reason I have felt more and more comfortable is because it's, I love being around people for whom their bullshit detector is finely tuned. Like most, and again, uh, I don't know how to say this without painting with a broad brush, but like most black cultures I've been in, I'm immediately aware of like just nobody wants to deal with the shit. Like cut to the bullshit, cut through it, give me the chase, cut to the chase, why are you here? I'm here because I love steel pen. Great, so do we, get on in here. Like there's no desire to sit and like really wallow in this sort of gray area. And if they, and if someone sees that I have a bad intention, they just go away. Like no one, like that, like that bullshit detector is so finely tuned. And in other cultures, I just haven't, especially in white culture, I haven't sensed that as much. So for me, like, I just, I can't ask those questions to white people. I, I feel more comfortable asking hard questions to black people than to do white people in my life. And that's a weird feeling for me. But I mean, am I wrong? Am I misdiagnosing uh, just the way of communicating within within black culture that that I that, am I just seeing it wrong? I I can't say that because all I can say is from again I speak I I always try to make sure that I I'm specific I'm speaking mm -hmm. from my point of view and mm -hmm. everyone is entitled to their point of view but I I agree with you on that that most of the communities that you would come into. Of course, there are bullshit meters on all because because of what we've experienced. It's mm -hmm. it's not necessarily it's it's not necessarily like ingrained. It's a learned behavior because of past experiences, and mm -hmm. we don't want to repeat, you know, falling into certain traps again. We have had four hundred years of, of trying yeah, to yeah. learn this, you know. So um, so again, it's it's like you said. You know, people that, that grew up in white neighborhoods that their parents, that's all they know. They don't know anything about black success. They don't know anything about black positivity. They don't know anything about, you know, 
black people being humane or having feelings or, or you know, having positive emotions. I won't say feelings because anger is also a feeling. Mm-hmm. What they see and what they are taught is that we are angry people. Are we? Is that a lie? Absolutely not. It's not a lie. But the the hard part is under is trying to understand why we're angry. Mm-hmm. What brought about this anger or this this way of thinking? Even I struggle sometimes because I'm like, listen, why are we so angry all the time? Mm-hmm. And it's just for us to have ongoing conversations. But for me, from my point of view. I want to first have these conversations within my community mm-hmm. so that we could relate to each other with less aggression. Mm-hmm. So when we present ourselves, and I don't want to say, let's not, let's not say present. Let's, when we go and we face these obstacles and we're fighting a whole entire justice system mm-hmm. all the way to the top, from the bottom all the way to the top, mm-hmm. that are prejudiced against us, we can do it together. It's counterproductive for, and I'm, I'm just, you know, breaking this down mm-hmm. so that we could get the, the bigger picture. It's counterproductive for 10 of us to go scrape, scrap, fight against the system and then we come back to the other 20 and we have to fight against the 20 that we're fighting for and with. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's more effective if we deal with our internal differences and say, guys, listen, okay, you know, let's, what are we fighting for? Let's come to a common, you know, a common place. Mm-hmm. And Yes, we may not be a hundred percent in agreement on everything, but let's let's come to a, a middle ground that we could all live with, and let's live with it. And then all thirty of us go fight this battle. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things that I mean. I feel like I. It's one of the reasons I I, I do this podcast, and I per, like I, I'm I'm. I live vicariously through your, your Facebook thread um, because I don't have the balls to engage with people in the way that you do on Facebook threads. There's something for me personally, um, not being able to see the way your eyes move when you say something, um, not knowing when you're, when you're, when you're contemplating a thought, seeing you do this, like (laughs) is important to me. Yeah. Like I can tell that you're, you're not sure about what you want to say or you want to say the right thing. And that means, so when you say something and I know that you're trying to say the right thing. I, I digest it differently on Facebook. It's just a like, fuck you, bro. And I'm like, (laughs) why were you taking a poop? Like, why, why would you say that like that? You know? And so I just shut off. I can't actually engage in that way. Um, I mean, I think for me, the thing that scares me is this, the predominance of the way people put out ideas on social media, but then don't take the next step of flushing out those ideas with another person in real time like this because I think yeah there's there's white supremacists on 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 the on the one pole and there's people who hate all white people and think we should murder them too on the other pole right let's let's just say those two poles and I think actually though there's a lot of people right on the fringe of where the Venn diagram is about to overlap 
who are just afraid, who, who aren't even entering the conversation because they are terrified about saying the word colored or the word black, and they don't know which to say, which is right. And I don't want to offend anybody. Or like, I saw somebody in the gay community say something about trans folks, and so now I'm, I'm offended. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you are missing out on the, this huge piece of the pie based on this one tiny little thing that you're seeing out of context on social media. You're not even willing to engage with why another community of folks might have a different look on gender or guns or race or whatever. Like, th- that's actually, to me, that's, that's why I said it's like, it's not that hard. Like, it's, it's nearly impossible for me to com- convince the white supremacist to come on and talk with you. Yeah, but but- <laughs> it's way easier for me to convince my, my super liberal friend who maybe has never hung out with black people for any extended period of time but who has read Ibram X. Kendi and has read Ta-Nehisi Coates and has very strong views on things, you know. But they're never actually, actually engaging, never having the dinner in a black household and having to, having to have that feeling of like, oh boy, I don't understand any of the slang that's being spoken here. <laughs> I don't understand any of the cultural references. I don't understand the jokes. Like, you know how many times I've sat in a black household and been like, what in the hell are you all talking about? <laughs> You know, but sitting through it and then learning, oh, that's what they're talking about. Oh, okay. You know, and being like, whoa, I had no idea that you all saw Kanye West this way. Not, and again, not everybody, but like, oh, I don't hear that viewpoint in the white world, (laughs) you know? And that's actually where I feel a lot of the tension is. And it'd be, it's like, do we just need a a monthly dinner with whites and blacks to get together and have a barbecue and be like, like, what's, what's the answer here? I don't know. That seems very, very ham-handed but like and it, it goes back to what I'm what I started off saying when it as it relates to communication as it relates to how everything is is so triggering in this age we're in on social media no one could we, everyone's talking about freedom of speech freedom of speech and every single day someone has to go and walk back what they say because of one word I will never apologize for that. That's why I've pulled back a little bit on social media because if I feel a way, I should be able to express myself without, obviously there are certain words that we know would, would, would be a, very offensive, mm-hmm. but there are words now or there are things now that it's just me trying to, I don't know how else to relate to this particular issue than using this phrase. So I shouldn't apologize for that. You know, instead of being angry, say, listen, you know, that was offensive. The reason it's offensive is because of this. And I would understand. But for you to just get angry, right, and say, oh, let's, um, (laughs) when they they just boycott or they, what's the word? I can't remember. Yeah, cancel culture. Let's just cancel this one because of this. I'm like, why? Like, okay, what's the rationale? And it's so easy for that to to take off Mm -hmm. because it seems like people feed on negativity. And there's so many, so many instances where someone might, and I'll I'll give you an example where I'm in agreement with some of the things, my point of view, um, and certain things, then I'll give you an example that people might say, Sheldon, he's homophobic or he's this and he's that. Mm-hmm. 
I think everyone has a right to choose who they want to be, live how they want to live. What I disagree with is you trying to force that on us to accept that everything should just all of a sudden be blanketed. And when I say that, I mean our children are no longer growing up with the innocence that they should have when we were growing up. And when I say innocence, I don't mean necessarily uh, a united point of view. I mean, you go to school, you learn A, B, C, one, two, three. Now it's about uh, taking our critical race theory, um, uh, LGBTQ, like, like, okay, let's get basic education down first, please. And then we discuss that when they grow older, as they start to identify who they want to be in life. Then they could face the challenges of life with some foundation, a little bit more grounded. That's my point of view. Is it necessarily the popular point of view? Maybe not. But I should be allowed to say that without feeling like somebody's going to be, oh, my God, that's, he's never, we're never going to talk to him again because that's how we feel. I'm entitled to feel how I feel. The, the difference is I'm willing to have a conversation about it and try to understand where you're coming from. But a lot of us don't do that anymore. We speak and we expect that when we put a point of view there, we're gonna just get all, I agree, I agree, I agree. And the minute someone says, I disagree, it's like, oh my God, no, how dare you disagree with my opinion? Right. Disagreement is by by default, uh, you're, you're taking the, like, it's just you're an irredeemable, yeah person you know and and or there's no nuance there i mean the the argument around or the the talk around you know crt or uh talking about lgbtq issues in in kindergarten or whatever it's the bill in florida is the the one that is the one that got a lot of a lot of press around it um to me the, the conversation just gets frustrating when like for me I, again like i zoom out and i'm like so we want kin- kindergartners to embrace these issues when fully formed adults actually don't can't digest it well and you know fully formed adults have just have agreed over time that one plus one equals two and two times two equals four and four divided by two is two like so we don't those are things we can then pass on to younger generations and be like trust us on this one plus one equals two we got you you know and that yes there are different ways there's common core math there's different yeah. ways to get to that i and that i didn't grow up on core i get it i understand why a parent could be frustrated by that but then whenever just the idea that you can't be like, well, hold up a second. Like hum- adults haven't agreed on this yet. Maybe let's not just embrace it wholeheartedly systemically. If systemic, you know, again, like I'm, I'm saying this and immediately having a lot of questions. I feel like you and I could just do a whole, whole, whole nother podcast, just <laughs> flushing that idea out. But it's this, to me, it goes back to the, like, to like why we can't talk about distrust of the police in general. Why, why does that feeling exist? Well, if you didn't see it in George Floyd, if you don't see why the distrust of the police, why those two other cops standing there like this and blocking people from interfering with Derek Chauvin, there's a system set up where that was okay. That was the accepted response from the cops, right? The cops were trained to do this and stand and block and, you know, we're doing a thing here. Get out of the way. Well, that exact same thing happened in Uvalde, Texas. Just they weren't putting their knee on someone's neck they were afraid to go into a school and they were blocking parents. It's like, we have, let's step away from guns for two seconds, but let's talk about why that distrust might 
I'll even give you, I'll even go further back. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll call two names out there. A lot of people will be like, who the hell are they? Amadou Diallo, Abna Louima. This is way back in the 1990, late 90s, mm-hmm. right? Rodney King. Mm-hmm. This is not new. So when you try to ask the question, why do we not trust cops? Just look at the history. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I want to be right? clear. I was only using two specific examples. No, I know. I know. Like, you know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not saying it for you. I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. I'm just saying for anyone who might be listening, who might not understand the lengthy history of this particular practice of, of cops, you know, and this is, imagine these are just the ones that were caught on camera. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that's it. The, the one time I really feared for my life was that day. I wasn't even, I was dressed to go to a wedding. Yeah. I remember you telling me about this and that I'm like, this guy has a gun dead to my face for no reason. I've not committed any crime. I've not done any. All I've did, all I'm doing is driving, going about my business. So people, I think, and I say that story so people could understand that I am coming from a place of experiencing this mm-hmm. when there's no cameras, when there were no, uh, everyone didn't have a cell phone or anything. I've experienced it, and I also use it on the other spectrum when I try to tell my friends, you have to limit yourself being exposed to those situations, right? Someone told me, I don't have, I have no idea what I'm talking about because I'm successful in my career. I'm, you know, you're a nurse, you're in the health field, you don't, you don't, you can't relate. And I'm like, on the contrary, I've experienced it firsthand. But what have I done? I've limited, and it's sad that we have to think like this. I have to do everything I possibly can to limit an encounter with the cops. Nobody's perfect. I mean, imagine like, I mean, think of another industry that we have. Let's, let's one that I engage with a lot, the airline industry. Imagine if, I mean, right now the percentage of planes that crash is something like 0.00012%. I mean, it's a very small number. But imagine if that number was 3%. Mm. There was a plane crash a day. And the airline industry, their response to you was, or your friends were telling you, you know, and I'm saying this a little bit, bit of a devil's advocate to what you were saying about, you know, okay, well, just, you know, if you're afraid of plane crashes, just limit yourself to airplane rides. You know, it's like, well, you can fucking train the pilots better. Like, we could do that. Like, like why, why am I the one that's responsible for, for putting myself in danger here? Like, and so we train airline pilots because we don't want that trauma of a plane crash, but once every two years. And we've accepted that level of casualty as a society, right? Why then with cops do you have to feel, I'm, I'm asking a rhetorical question here. I don't expect an answer, but like, why would I ever I, feel like I have to be like Sheldon? You know what you should do? Just don't get on airplanes, buddy. Like, I know. And that, and that's you know? what I'm saying. That's when I, that's what goes back to me saying that it's sad because it's a reality. It's a reality that, you know, like you see these little kids run behind me ever so often. And two of them are boys. I mean, one girl. So even we, even have to keep having those conversations with these kids. Like it's, it's frustrating because like you can't get away with the same shit a white person does. Mm -hmm. And I'm being blunt here. I have a coworker. He's 29 or 28. He just turned 29. And he's been in Huntsville, Texas for a long time. So he's surrounded by 
white folks. And I don't mean to offend anyone when I say white folks, that's just the conversation yeah. we're having. Yeah. You know, uh, we have to, you know, be real about certain things. And you can see it in the way he works. And I have to tell him, like, young man, and every time he does something wrong, and he's like, how come I get in trouble and they don't get in trouble? I'm like, you're not on the same playing field. And it's, it's, but that's unfair. I know, I know it's, it's, it's tough. It's hard. So, you know, it's, I don't know what else we could do more than keep fighting and keep speaking to, you know, I try to, anyone who's close to me, I'm like, let's, this is how we're going to deal with this thing. You have to have conversations on how to react in a very tense situation. I have a licensed firearm, license to carry. I don't carry it with me. I don't want to say it's in public. I don't want anyone to run up on me. But I don't carry it because of that particular fear. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I've seen a video where a young man gets pulled over and he tells the cop, I have a licensed firearm. Is this Philander Castillo? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? And they killed him. So, you know, it's, it's like... Well, and I have a, I have a, um, I won't say his name, but he's a, he's a white guy, good, really good friend of mine who has a concealed carry in Ohio. And I think Ohio just passed a new law saying that you no longer need to disclose to a cop that you have a concealed carry. And he texted me and he's like, bro, that is the fucking craziest thing that I, and, and, and he's, he's a liberal gun supporter who is, I don't, I don't want to say he's for gun control legislation, but he's just like baffled. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to tell some, a cop that I have a gun on me anymore. Like, and that is somehow in line with the second amendment. Like that makes, so literally I don't have to tell the well-regulated militia that I have a gun on me. Like if we're going to go by the letter of what the second amendment says, like those words are in there and I'm talking to a police force and I don't have to disclose that. That seems like a recipe for disaster to me. I, I, absolutely. <laughs> what I do mean, I know? I don't own <laughs> guns. You know, like <laughs> I play drums, Sheldon. Like, I, and I don't have a desire to own a gun. But no, that I, crazy. I'll be honest. I have never had a desire to to own guns until I moved to Texas. Why is that? Because of um, you know certain rhetoric and and mm. you hear people, especially when it was coming to election time, and there was a threat out there that, you know, they were going to kill black people. They were going to come around and shoot black people. And I'm like, what in the world? I'm not, I don't, I'm not for guns. I'm not, but I have a family and I, and everyone here has a a firearm and I don't want to be caught with my pants down for lack of a better phrase. Um, so I had to, I, I mean, I just felt like in, in, a, in a society environment where legal guns are now Texas passed a law recently where you don't even need a license to carry. You could just walk with your gun. You go buy a gun. I don't need to have a license. I could take it wherever. And that has resulted in a spike in, in homicides, and, and especially in the... Um, Urban areas in, in Texas. Harris I'm going to guess a spike in suicide too. I mean, well, I, the, I mean, suicide numbers. When you look at the number of suicides that happen, like or gun deaths per per year in this country, the thing they don't talk about is like the vast majority of those are suicides. Like 
because people have ready access. And this is where the mental health thing gets woven in here yeah. and gets de- dealt with very poorly. Like, it's horrible. You know, it's like anybody who shoots up a school has a mental health problem. I'm sorry. You cannot convince me of that. No, that's, that's the and truth. And anybody who shoots themselves with a gun has a mental health problem. And I say this as someone who deals with depression. I'm on medication for anti-anxiety stuff. Like, And I'm sitting here telling you that if I'm having a terrible day and I go into a Walmart, I want, as a rational person now, I want that Walmart clerk to have to look me in the face and be like, you got to wait four days. Because in that four days, I might go see help. I might get a good night's sleep. I might see an ex-girlfriend who says, who apologizes. Like, all of the things that cause people to go bonkers, right? In those moments. Like, that's what I want as someone who deals with mental health issues. So... Like, like, but we can't have those discussions because then it gets like, we're not going to stigmatize. It's like, well, okay, all right, what are we going to do then? <laughs> that is <laughs> like, funny because, you know, when, when, uh, I was at Greg Abbott who was like, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mental health thing, but why cut funding to mel- mental health? You just cut to how much hundreds of millions to mental, was mental health. But now you're saying it's a mental health thing. So you're telling me that you, you, both of your policies contributed to a situation like this because you're very liberal on guns and you're very stringent on mental health, you know, access and, and funding for mental health. Those are the two recipes for this, well, two of the major recipes for a disaster like what happened last week. And, you know, I, I, again, Josh, people might think that we, we're doing this because of what happened last week, but guys, this was planned way before this. We just couldn't do it. Um, prior to that because um, and Sheldon I swear to God the next time we talk we can talk about something else we can <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay I'm okay because I just really you know, enjoy chatting with you about this I, I appreciate it because it gives me an opportunity to just release some of my thoughts because lately I'm like uh, I, I don't have the energy anymore to to really engage people in social media it takes a lot of Mm-hmm. energy and effort and like you said it's easier to speak to someone face to face because then you could understand my demeanor you could understand mm-hmm. or maybe you get a better idea of i'm not coming from a place of anger or you know cause when you read words it's like damn what the hell you don't know you don't know the emotion yeah. behind those words you just well, read the words and i think when i when i and i think for me a lot of this comes from the caribbean steel band community like there's a level of buy-in that you have in a good steel band that's run well you stand behind your pan you do not leave your pan you don't eat or drink behind your pan like there's a level of respect that you have that everybody is forced to bring to the table that like you're and so like when that buy-in is felt everybody then can rise and do something great together nobody gets to be a true individual in those moments right correct conversations are the same thing. Like the idea that you and I are forced to sit here with our phones off and stare at each other and have the awkward silences and me stumble over something and you stumble over something. Like there's a level of buy-in there that people on social media get for free. (laughs) And stuff that gets stuff off to the stuff that I get for free, um, barring my trash being taken out and clean water coming out of my taps. Like, well, I don't get those for free. I pay for those. But like the stuff that I get for free with like, I, I care about, I care the least about it's the stuff that I actually have to put the spade in the goddamn soil and hit a rock and dig it out and keep digging. Like that's the stuff that I'm most proud of. And, um, on that note, Sheldon, I have robbed you of a minute and four, 
uh, or an hour and four <laughs> minutes of your life, and your beautiful daughter has been flitting about in the background, <laughs> playing on my Catholic guilt this whole time. So um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you go here, buddy. But but just before we do, what um, do you have any sort of like what, what kind of stuff are you working on now? Like what what kind of are you still DJing? Are you still like what's something that you're pumped about uh, coming up this summer that you're that you're working on? Um, of course, I'm still DJing. I'm, like, you mm-hmm. see my my system behind me here. When mm-hmm. I have time, I do um, uh, work in the background. I'm also more involved, getting more involved in in, in uh, mass production for Carnival and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, I'm still, but Steel Pan is never going to go away. So um, I'm going to be in London uh, for, for that. I'm going to most likely be in New York also. I'm not sure what's going on there, but I... Uh, Neither I'm, am I. We're, we're all... It's, it's <laughs> going to come together some, at the last minute, but, you know, I, I think I'm, everybody... I've gotten some bit. information, but I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not at liberty to just um, put that out there. I'll let, you know, the folks who are dealing with that put that yeah. out there. Yeah. Good news is I've been asked to host an event, whatever it's going to be. So yeah. um, I may be on that side of the things for the steel pan, which I, I, I will be excited about, providing that it happens. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm actually going to go back to school cause I'm going to go do my nurse practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, awesome. I'm working on a lot of things right well, now. Congratulations on that. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, or, or is it, I don't know. That seems, it sounds awesome to me, but it, maybe it's, no, nah, it's great. Like, it's great. It's okay, great. Good. It's, uh, you know, is it to get more certified for dialysis stuff or is it a different area? No, nah, it's area? just, um, I just want to, um, be able to, to, control more of what I do work-wise because mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to work more into being more involved in, in carnival productions and festivities. Yeah. And I don't want, I, I want to be able to have that freedom from a designated work career mm-hmm. and invest more um, so I could see better returns in, in, in yeah. what I do as, you know, I think everyone should, like you said, play steel pan be in a band at least once in your life it's an experience that could possibly change well, your life sheldon maybe that's i mean maybe that's the silver bullet here to all of our woes is just start every every police department needs to start a steel band and <laughs> you must you must play with members of the community once a month like maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe in 30 years we'll be in a different position or maybe we'll be right where we, where we left it but you know i i would wager the opposite um well sheldon <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Um, I, I hate to say that it warms my heart to have talked to you about this crazy stuff, but it, it actually does give me a sense of like um, calm in a way that lets me see things. I can see a little bit further now than I did <laughs> before I started talking to you. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, one final plug. I, um, I've noticed a trend of Caribbean people moving to Texas, and I want to end that trend and bring you all back. So... <laughs> Put the word out uh, to Jerrion. I'm hearing uh, some rumblings in the community, and it's really starting to piss me off. You guys are starting <laughs> to poach all of the Caribbean folks down to Texas. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know, I had to do it. But, you know. Well, I don't think Houston, Carna- Houston Carnival doesn't really roll off the tongue quite it's like not, uh, It's not, not, not at this point. Not at this point. <laughs> but we're working on it. Um, you know, before you one last plug, I got it. Mm-hmm. My friend, I don't know if you see the, the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Small minds kill big dreams. It's one of my friends, uh, old school friends, 
And he just, uh, I think after George Floyd and, and that stuff, he just started um, doing T-shirts uh, with some inspirational quotes on it. It's called Voice of the People Clothing. And it's online. Um, Voice of the People Clothing, is a he has a website up. I think okay. that's VOTP.com or Voice of the People Clothing.com or something like that. But well, I just wanted to shout him out. Um, you know he's trying. He's trying to do his thing, and yeah. Well, I'll uh, I'll look it up because I was I could only see the small minds part the whole time, and uh, yeah, I know I, small I minds kill big dreams. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Tell your daughter I'm deeply sorry for whatever it is she's been waiting for this entire hour, uh, and stay healthy. And I hope to see you soon, man. All right, you too, man. All right, see you, buddy. All right, bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner, builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mango chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.